Chapter the Twenty Eighth of the Manchester Man by Mrs. G. Linnaeus Banks. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Once in a Life. Customs change with the manners of the times, and as the apprentice is no longer the absolute bond slave of his master, release from the seven years' bondage is now seldom accompanied by the active and noisy demonstration which of old marked that epoch of a tradesman's or artisan's career. But if the sudden uproar which chased quiet from the precincts of Mr. Ashton's warehouse and manufactory when the infirmary clock told noon, broke prematurely upon the conference in the counting-house, it was not unexpected. Every apprentice had been similarly greeted at the same period of his life. Until the clock proclaimed twelve, business routine had been undisturbed, but those twelve beats of the timekeeper's hammer had been the signal for every apprentice and workman on the premises to rush pell-mell into the yard, each bearing with him some implement or symbol of his trade, anything which would clash or clang being preferred. Remnants of fringe, bed-lace, and carpet-binding waved and fluttered like streamers from the hands of the women, umbrella-sticks were flourished, strings of waste ferules, brass wheels, brace-buckles, button and tassel moulds, cops and spindles were jingled and jangled together. Tin cans were beaten with picking-rods, punches, hammers, leather stamps and other tools by apprentices and men, whilst Jabez himself hoisted on the shoulders of the two smallware weavers who had seized and borne him from his master's presence, claiming him as one of their own body, a recognised lawful member of their craft, was paraded round and round that inner courtyard, with the crowd in extemporised procession, amid shouts, hurrahs, songs, and that peculiar instrumental accompaniment which was noise, not music. The household servants had crowded to the scullery door. Clarks stood aloof under the gateway, where Simon Clegg kept them in company in an ecstasy of satisfaction. Mr. and Mrs. Ashton and Mr. Chadwick surveyed the proceedings from the counting-house window, whilst even Ellen and Augusta were curious enough to look on from those back-hall steps, where they had once before received the hero of that scene, wounded from a very different one. More than six years had elapsed since the last indoor apprentice had been born in triumph round that yard. Kit Townley's indentures had been prematurely cancelled, and Jabez may be pardoned if he contrasted the two occasions, and construed the wilder excitement and enthusiasm of this in his own favour, when his employers and their daughter noticed it also. It is easy to tell what a favourite Jabez must be in the warehouse by the uproar. The last outcome, I remember, was quite tame beside this. Well, Augusta, answered Ellen, I believe he deserves it. I know my father thinks there's not such another young man as Mr. Clegg in all Manchester. Yes, he's very kind and obliging and clever and persevering and all that, and I like him very well. But then, you know, Ellen, he's not a gentleman, and he's not handsome by any means responded Augusta, in quite a patronising tone. Ellen looked grave. "'He is all that is good and noble, if he was not born a gentleman, and I think him handsome. He has a frank, open, expressive countenance, and a good figure, and good manners. And what more would you have?' Augusta turned her head sharply, and looked up archly in her cousin's face. "'It's well Captain Travis doesn't hear you, Ellen.' "'or he might be jealous of the prentice knight,' she said, banteringly. Ellen coloured painfully. 
"'When shall I make you understand that Mr. Travis is nothing to me?' asked she. "'When my cousin makes me understand that she is nothing to Mr. Travis,' was the quick reply, as Jabez was being borne past for the last time, and the young ladies once more waved their handkerchiefs in salutation. It may be very gratifying and very triumphant to be borne aloft on other men's shoulders, but it is neither dignified nor graceful nor comfortable, and Jabez, being carried off bareheaded, had neither hat nor cap to wave in return. He made the best use of his right hand, his left being required to steady himself, yet I am afraid he was more desirous to make a good impression on the romantic young lady muffled in a shawl to hide the swathing bandages than on his less attractive and elder champion by her side. It was half-past twelve. The dinner-bell rang. Jabez was lowered to terra firma, and there was a general rush to the packing-room which had been cleared out to receive trestles and planks for the tables, and an abundant supply of cold meat, cheese, bread and ale, provided by the master. And then and there, before a mouthful was cut, Mr. Ashton, standing at the head of the table, having Mr. Chadwick by his side, and Simon Clegg close at hand, presented Jabez with his indentures, with many expressions of his good will and his good opinion, and an intimation to those assembled that Mr. Clegg would in all probability continue in his employ, an announcement which was received with loud acclaim and the hungry operatives set to at the collation with right good will. This was the master's feast. That of the apprentice for which it was customary to save up long in advance was at night, and held at the neighbouring concert hall tavern in York Street, opposite to the then gentleman's concert hall. Prior to that, however, Mrs. Ashton had somewhat to say to the young man, and she chose his own sitting-room to say it in. Of course, his apprenticeship over, it behoved him to shift his quarters, and he had looked forward to his abdication with regret undreamed of by Mrs. Ashton, or she would certainly have hesitated ere she made the proposal she did. As it was, she kindly and thoughtfully considered that Jabez had no good parental home to return to, that she had no other use for the rooms he occupied, so she proposed to him that he should continue to occupy them whilst he thought fit, since he had elected to remain in their service. He had already looked at lodgings in Charlotte Street, close at hand, but this unexpected proposal came like a reprieve to an exile, and he was as prompt in his acceptance as he had been in that previous decision which had so thoroughly swamped all Mr. Chadwick's plans for his advancement. His eager, "'Oh, madam, you cannot mean it. You overwhelm me with kindness. Remain under this roof. It's a privilege I had not anticipated, and I shall be proud to embrace it.' sent Mrs. Ashton away well pleased. It was doubly satisfactory to find the comforts of their home appreciated after seven years' experience, and to be able to refute Mr. Ashton's theory that all young men like to shake a loose leg, and Jabez would be too glad to escape from grumbling Kezia's jurisdiction to accept the offer. Mr. Ashton, however, did not abandon the opinion he had formed. "'I'll wager my gold snuff-box against a button-mould,' asserted he, "'that Clegg only said yes, because gratitude would not let him say nay. "'It's not likely a young man would care to be always under the eyes of a master or mistress, however steady he may be.' "'Ah, but neither Mr. nor Mrs. Ashton knew there was a magnet under their roof, "'stronger than all the ordinary inducements which might otherwise have drawn him away.' 
and perhaps it was as well for him they did not. Simon, who was present at the time, seemed literally overpowered with gratitude for all the good which was falling into the lap of the child of his adoption. He, however, took his own views of the matter, views not calculated to puff Jabez up in his own esteem, and when Mrs. Ashton was gone, he broke out, "'Eh, Jabez, lad, but thou's lit on thy feet. Thou's been a good lad, o' reckon, and thou's served thee master greatly. But thou sees many a lad does that as never gets a lift such as thou's getten. And aw canna but think it aw comes o' that prayer o' thy Israelite namesake, as aw tout thee when thou were no bigger than a sixpenneth a copper. Yanna forgotten it, I hope. No, Jabez had not forgotten it. It would be strange if he had. Nay, only that morning in the flush of success he had carried from the counting-house, with the buoyant presumption of youth, a conviction that it was not so much a prayer as a prophecy nearing fulfilment. Simon brought his soaring pinions down from their Icarian flight. Well, lad, it may be the Lord has enlarged thee coast, but if it so be, Ann, thou sees thee is more room for thee to slip as well as to stond, and thee is more raisin why thou shouldn't have be thankful and humble, for the big book says, Let him that stondeth tack heed, lest he fall, and I shouldn't a like to see the young yed torn wi proid. His lecture was somewhat of a cold shower-bath to Jabez in his hour of triumph, but no doubt it was salutary in its ultimate effects. At all events it kept the vaulting ambition of the new man a little in check. People, especially work-people, then observed early hours. At seven o'clock, the outcome supper was on the tables at the concert hall tavern, and the elder apprentices, and all such of the workmen who were absolutely engaged on the premises, were there to partake when Jabez found old Simon a seat, himself taking the head of the table, with the two senior apprentices on his right hand and left. The cost of such suppers usually fell on the apprentice, but sometimes, as in this case, the master added his quota. If plain, the provision was substantial and ample, rounds of beef and legs of mutton, piles of floury potatoes, and red cones of carrot on pale beds of mashed turnip, smoked on the board, and the two-pronged forks and horn-hafted knives were flanked with earthenware jugs and horns of ale. It was the first essay of Jabez in the art of carving, and no doubt he made rather an unskilled president. But in the then condition of the lower classes, a large joint of meat was a rare sight to a working man, and so he cut away with no fear of critics. Amidst the rattle of cutlery and crockery and the rapid play of jaws, beef and mutton disappeared, and were succeeded by a tremendous plum pudding, the contribution of old Mrs. Clues, and half a cheese which came to the table in the then common Japan receptacle, locally known as a cheese biggin. Appetite and the viands fled together. The noise of tongues succeeded to the noise of knives and forks, and Lancashire humour vented itself in jest and repartee, sometimes coarse but seldom mischievous. Old Simon enjoyed it immensely. It seemed like a renewal of his own youth. It was not, however, until the supper-table was cleared that the chief ceremonial of the evening took place. Then an armchair was mounted upon the table, into which Jabez was enthroned, 
the two eldest apprentices standing also on the table on either hand as supporters. An immense bowl of steaming punch was brought in, which was held over the head of Jabez by the one apprentice, when he was said to be crowned, whilst the other, wielding the punch-ladle as a symbol of authority, with many a theatrical grimace, began to ladle the odorous compound into the glasses of the guests, and the head overlooker of the manufactory, from the opposite end of the table, prepared to propose the health of the late apprentice as a new member of their craft. At this juncture, in walked their master, Mr. Ashton, closely followed by Mr. Chadwick, leaning on the arm of the Reverend Joshua Brooks, who with many a pish and pshaw and poo, had professed to come, reluctantly, to see a sensible lad make a fool of himself. Their entrance and the volley of cheers which greeted it made a momentary pause in the proceedings. Then Mr. Ashton, being duly supplied with a ladle full of punch, took his overlooker's place, and the glass serving as a substitute for his snuff-box, he proposed and drank Mr. Clegg's health and prosperity, and welcomed him among the confraternity of smallware weavers. This was succeeded by a prolonged cheer, and then, as one by one, each man's glass was filled, ere he touched it with his lips, he sang separately, with whatsoever voice he might happen to have, musical or otherwise, the following toast to proclaim the released apprentice a freeman of the trade, the chorus being taken up afresh, after every repetition of the quatrain. Here's a health to he that's now set free, that once was apprentice bound, and for his sake this merriment we make, so let his health go round. Go round, go round, go round, brave boys, until he comes to me. For the longer we sit here and drink, the merrier we shall be. Chorus, go round, go round, etc. Mr. Ashton had ordered up another bowl of punch, and that being distributed with like ceremony over the new smallware monarch's head, Jabez, from his temporary throne, with all the warmth of freshly stimulated gratitude, delivered a very genuine oration on the excellence of the master then present, and proposed a toast. Mr. and Mrs. Ashton, our worthy and esteemed master and mistress. Nowadays, I'm afraid the master would have been dubbed a governor, and the mistress ignored altogether. But though it is only fifty-five years since, servants were not ashamed to own they had masters and mistresses, and consequently were not above being amenable to rule. During this digression, at a hint from someone, I believe old Simon, Jabez, whose eloquence must surely have come from the punch-bowl, dilated on the spiritual relation between the reverend chaplain and the party assembled, there being scarcely an individual present who had not been either baptised or married by the Reverend Joshua Brooks, and he wished health and long life to him with much sincerity. A general shout rose in response, but Joshua made no other reply than to turn on his heel, the better to hide his face, and growl out, Long life indeed! <laughs> Pack a tomfoolery! as he hurried from the room, before either Mr. Ashton or his paralysed brother-in-law could follow. Yet in spite of his gruff disclaimer, he added another bowl of punch to the tomfoolery. At least one was brought in soon after, and no one there was called upon to pay for it. Relieved from the restraining presence of the gentlemen, tongues wagged freely, long pipes were introduced, song, jest and toast succeeded each other, and, as the fun grew and the smoke thickened, they mingled confusedly, 
until at length clear-headed Simon drew his arm through that of the novice, and watching his opportunity, led him unnoticed into the open air, with his head spinning like a teetotum. Jabez awakened the next morning with a terrible headache, and a dim recollection of having encountered stately Mrs. Ashton in the hall overnight, when the very statues had seemed to shake their heads at him, and her mild, "'Fie, Jabez!' followed him upstairs, apparently carpeted with moss or india-rubber for the nonce. It was his first dissipation, and his last. He never forgot it, and if anything was wanting to destroy the germs of self-sufficiency and elation, it was found in the consciousness of his own frailty, and the sense of shame and self-reproach it engendered. Experienced heads knew that the surrounding fumes of liquor and tobacco had been more potential than the small quantity of punch he had imbibed. But he did not know it, and by the hail-fellow well-mettishness of those workmen who were most inclined at all times to keep St. Monday, and who came to their work, or stayed from their work, unfit for their work, was a sensitive chord of his nature struck, far more than by the quiet caution of Simon, the light badinage of Mr. Ashton, or the jeers of captious Kezia. In making light of it, Jabez felt that they made light of him, and he was long after afraid, lest those whose opinion he held in esteem should make light of him also. Augusta Ashton, chief of these. End of chapter the 28th